Luke chapter 1, verse 46, and it's just a very simple sentence, but it's uh, where we're going to start looking at the music of Christmas. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Christianity is a religion of music. The dreary dirges of the false religions of the world provide no message of hope and no encouragement for the world. But Christianity is different. Christianity is a singing religion. And it's a singing religion because we have something to sing about. We worship the true and the only God. We worship the God who is a God of grace and a God of mercy. We sing because we worship the one who has provided for us the cure for sin who extends hope and salvation and peace to all people. We sing because we worship the God who offers abundant life in this world, which means a life lived in connection with Him and His blessings and His power and His strength and His grace and the one who gives us eternal life in the world to come. Christianity is a singing religion, and Christians sing because we have something to sing about. Listening to music at Christmas time, singing Christmas music, enjoying Christmas music is, of course, a very big part, a very large part of how we celebrate Christmas each year. For me personally, to me, and I'm sure to you as well, there is nothing more beautiful than the Christmas music, the music that we use to celebrate Christmas each and every year. It is believed that the first nativity play was presented in Italy in the year 1223. It was about that time that songs began to be written about the story of the birth of our Lord. And these songs were begun at that time to be introduced into formal church services. And very soon nativity plays and the singing of Christmas carols soon spread from Italy to France and Spain and Germany and to the other European countries, and soon they became a part of the worship of the church during the Christmas season. Great theological and doctrinal truths and the truth about Christ Christmas is embedded in the Christmas carols and the hymns that we sing today. Let me give you a, a, a few examples of that. In the words, O Holy Night... We are reminded that the world was in sin and error pining, wasting away until the Savior appeared and the soul felt the worth of His salvation. In God rest ye merry gentlemen, tidings of comfort and joy come from knowing that Jesus Christ our Savior was born to save us all from Satan's power. In Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we learn that only through the newborn king can God and sinners be reconciled. We're also reminded in that song that in his birth, Jesus, who is God, took on human flesh. The song says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. There are many Christmas carols that we sing that speak of the birth of Jesus. Away in a manger, O little town of Bethlehem, and go tell it on the mountain. 
All of these emphasize the very heart of Christmas, and the very heart of Christmas is the birth of the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he didn't stay a baby in the manger. Jesus grew. And 33 years after his birth in Bethlehem, Jesus went to the cross to accomplish the mission that began in Bethlehem. And that mission was to provide the salvation for lost mankind that we, we all desperately need. And Christmas carols that we sing remind us of that truth. In the words of what child is this? That song underscores the truth that Jesus was born into this world to provide salvation through his sacrificial death. The words of that song read, Nails, spear, shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me and you. In the last verse of the first Noel, it reiterates that very same point. Then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord who hath made heaven and earth of naught and with his blood hath mankind bought. The salvation that Jesus provided by a sacrifice on the cross is offered to us by grace, his redeeming grace. And the truth of that is beautifully penned in the song Silent Night. Radiant beams from thy holy face and the dawn of redeeming grace. Joy to the world exhorts its listeners with these words. Let earth receive her king and let every heart prepare him room. Meaning that every person is called upon to embrace Jesus Christ as both Savior and King and Lord and ruler of their life. The very title of the song, O Come, Let Us Adore Him, describes the worshipful attitude that is to characterize all of those who truly put their faith and trust in Christ. Angels we have heard on high exhorts one and all to come and adore on bended knee Christ the Lord, the newborn King. You see the carols and the hymns and the songs we sing at Christmas are a treasure trove of the truth about the true meaning of Christmas. Now, there are many secular songs that we sing at Christmas time, and some of those are fun, and some of those remind us of Christmases gone by, and some of those celebrate the family celebrations that we have, and all of the wonderful things, the traditions that we have at Christmas. But to me, the greatest songs of all at Christmas are the songs that celebrate the birth of our Lord and the meaning of his birth, and the meaning of his life, and the meaning of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which is the purpose of Christmas. Why do we sing at Christmas? Well, we have a scriptural basis for that. Most of the Christmas story, when we talk about the Bible's Christmas story, is found in the Gospel of Luke. And as you study what Luke wrote about the Christmas story, you will discover that he included music. Now, it's not like the music we have sung this morning, but you will discover that he has included the lyrics of the music of that first Christmas. You see, all music is is poetry set to music. Well, in his gospel, Luke records five different songs, 
Five different statements of praise that are related to the birth and the first coming of Jesus. Why do we sing at Christmas? Well, the first Christmas was full of music as well. There's the song of old Simeon, the song of Zacharias, the song of Mary, the mother of our Lord, the song of the angels in the hills of Bethlehem, and the song of Elizabeth. It is right that our Christmas celebrations are filled with joyful and meaningful music because the first Christmas was filled with joyful and meaningful music. This morning we're going to take just a moment to look at the joy and the truth that is found in each one of those first songs of Christmas, the Christmas songs of Scripture. First of all, there's the, the song of the old man Simeon, the song of Simeon. It's recorded in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. Listen to what the Bible says there. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is, he was waiting for the promised Messiah. And the Holy Spirit of God was upon this man. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So one day he came by the Spirit into the temple, and with the parents, that is, Mary and Joseph, brought the child, the Lord Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law. Simeon saw them. The Holy Spirit spoke to his heart. The Holy Spirit said, This is the child. And Simeon took the child into his arms and he blessed God. And here's Simeon's song. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. God had promised this dear, sweet, faithful, good-hearted saint of God that before he died, he would see the Messiah. What a wonderful promise. He would see the one that God had promised, the Savior of the world. And the Holy Spirit revealed us, old Simeon, you're going to see him with your very eyes. Well, not only did Simeon see the Savior, he held the Savior in his arms. Simeon had waited a long time for that prophecy to be fulfilled. And what a magnificent moment it was. No doubt with tears in his eyes. Simeon held that child in his arms. And he spoke. And he maybe added a little melody. He sang a song of praise. At Christmas time, we too should sing praises to our God. Because our God, the one God, the only God, the true God, is a promise-keeping God. God will keep every promise that He's ever made. And He will keep every promise that He has given to us in Christ. Including the promise of salvation. The promise of security. The promise of the second coming. The promise of a home in heaven. Why should we sing at Christmas? We should sing songs of praise because our God is a promise-keeping God.
and we should sing. Then there's the song of old Zacharias. When Gabriel the angel appeared to the priest Zacharias in the temple, the angel Gabriel sent by God had an interesting message for this old priest. He and his wife were childless. And they had been praying for a child for many, many years. In fact, that prayer had become so common to them that they repeated it without even thinking about it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever become so, so entrenched, a phrase in prayer becomes so entrenched in your mind that sometimes you pray that thing without thinking about what you're praying? Well, Zacharias and Elizabeth had been praying for a child. And here, Zacharias is, he has the moment of a lifetime for the priest. He's in the holy place and he's burning incense on the altar while all of the people are gathered outside in the temple praying. And that incense that Zacharias offered represented the prayers of the people as it goes up into the sky. As Zacharias is carrying out that duty, all of a sudden, a heavenly glow fills the holy place. And there's the angel Gabriel. Zacharias doesn't know what to think. This angel makes this announcement. Zacharias, God has heard your prayers. You and Elizabeth are going to have a child. Now on a normal basis, there's one complication to that wonderful promise. They're old. <laughs> Zacharias and Elizabeth, the Bible says, is far beyond the normal age of having a child. But God says it's going to be possible. For with God, the angel Gabriel said, nothing is impossible. And God allowed it to happen. Well, Zacharias didn't know what to think. And so he doubted, could it be? Is it possible? Is this prayer going to be answered? And he expressed that doubt to Gabriel. And Gabriel said, all right, I'm going to show you. Until the time your child is born, you will be unable to speak. So for those nine months that dear old Elizabeth carried that child, Zacharias was unable to speak. Finally, the time came and the baby was born. And there was a great celebration. All of the family and all of the friends gathered together. They wanted to know what the child's name was going to be. Elizabeth said, his name shall be John. They said, you've never had a John in your family. How can that be? And so they asked, oh, Zacharias, what's the name of your child going to be? He said, give me something to write on. And he writes down, his name shall be John. And at that moment, the mouth of Zacharias was opened for the first time since the revelation. And you know what he did? Oh, Zacharias sang a song. The theme of his song is praising God for sending a Savior into the world. Listen to how he began his song in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 and 69. This is what old Zechariah said after nine months of being unable to talk. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Then he concludes his song with this statement of praise. A new child will be called the prophet of the highest, talking about his child, John the Baptist. 
for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. It was a song of praise. Praise to God for sending the Savior. Why should we sing at Christmas? Because God, because God has provided the Savior we all so desperately need. He has provided one who will save us from a life dominated by sin and selfishness and separation from God. Why should we sing? Our God has sent a Savior. That's why we sing at Christmas. Oh, Simeon sang at Christmas. Oh, Zacharias sang at Christmas. And so did Mary, the mother of our Lord. Her song is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. It is one of the great pieces of Scripture found in all of the Bible. It is called often the Magnificat, based on her first words of this song. <laughs> Mary had gone to visit Elizabeth her kinswoman, who is with child with John the Baptist. And she entered into the house of Elizabeth and Elizabeth elicited a statement of praise, the Holy Spirit revealing to her that Mary is the mother of the Messiah. And Mary responded with a song. And it's a beautiful song. It's a song based in Scripture, based on many truths found in the Old Testament. Luke 1.46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has regarded the lowly estate of His maidservant, speaking of herself. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. She continues, He has put down the mighty from their th thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the high and mighty of this world He has sent away empty. You know what Mary had thought about ever since it had been revealed to her that she was going to be the mother of Jesus? She was stunned. Mary was stunned that God would choose her to be the mother of the Messiah. She was not a princess. She was not of the upper crust. She was not of royalty. She was just a lowly, peasant, teenage girl from a working class family who lived in an out of the way, out of the way village in Israel in the middle of nowhere. And God had chosen her, one of lowly estate, to be the mother of the Messiah. To Mary, that God took no regard for her low estate was a sign and a confirmation that the Savior that she was bearing, the miraculous Son that she was bearing, would be the Savior not just for the high and mighty, not just for the rich, not just for the elite, but for all people, for the lowly as well. Why should we sing at Christmas? We should sing songs of praise to God for sending us a Savior. A Savior who's not just for the high and mighty, not just for the elite of this world, 
but a Savior for all of us. Doesn't God deserve praise? Always, but especially at Christmas. Yes, at the first Christmas, old Simeon sang. Zacharias sang. And Mary sang. But oh, the angels sang too. On the night when Jesus was born, you know the story. In the hills outside of Bethlehem, there were lowly shepherds. We call them lowly shepherds because they were on the bottom of the totem pole of society's ladder. You couldn't get in that day much lower than a shepherd. They were considered to be the lower of the lowest class of society. But in the hills outside of Bethlehem, on the night Jesus was born, angels appeared. Isn't it interesting? They did not appear to old King Herod in his palace. They didn't appear in the temple to all of those Pharisees and the high and mighty religious elite. The angels didn't appear to Caesar in his palace in Rome. The angels appeared to shepherds in the hills outside of Bethlehem. Old, rough, rough, dirty, stinking shepherds. An angel first appeared to the lowly shepherds and he gave them this stunning, amazing and marvelous announcement. Luke 2.10, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Do you ever get tired of hearing that? Isn't that beautiful? For behold, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. <laughs> you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The indication is that the, the King, the Savior, the Lord is a baby lying in an animal food trough, not in a hospital, not in a bed of some prince or king, but in an animal food trough in a stable. When the announcing angel was finished, that was the cue for a choir to appear. Now, this was not a choir from the First Baptist Church of Bethlehem. It was... Not a choir, a traveling choir from Jerusalem. No. This was a choir of angels. And they appeared in the heavens. And the angels sang. Verses two, uh, uh, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Hear their song. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. They celebrated the birth of the Savior. And notice the emphasis of their song. This is the Savior who will give peace to the world, who will give lasting peace to, to those who know and trust in Him as their Savior and Lord. You know, one of the great benefits of being saved is God gives you peace. He gives you peace 
with God. And He gives you the peace of God. Jesus is the Savior and the King who will one day vanquish Satan and sin, which is the enemy of peace. One day He will free this world from all of the woes that rob it of peace. Jesus is the Savior. And any person, any person, including you, any family, including yours, any marriage, including yours, any nation that will trust in Him, will find peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. So many people live in fear, anxiousness. They do not know what the next day will bring, what the next moment will bring, what the next year will bring. Well, Christians don't know what will happen in the next moment either. But you know we have peace. And you know what that peace is? Whatever happens, God is in control. And the one who holds the sun in one hand holds our soul and our life in the other. Hallelujah! <laughs> At Christmas, you see, we should give thanks. And we should sing. And by the way, I'm an old loud mouth anyway. You know that. I think when you sing, if you can't sing pretty, sing loud. <laughs> Amen? I mean, if you can't carry a tune in the bucket, and if you don't even know what a this, that, or the other is when it comes to notes, if you can't sing pretty, let her rip and sing loud. Sing praises to our God. At Christmas, we should give thanks for our Savior, who is the Prince of Peace, and we should sing. I hope you have a song in your heart this Christmas. You know, at Christmas time, there ought to be a magnet in your soul that draws you to church. And that magnet in your soul should draw you to a place where praises are sung, where God is glorified, where you can join the choir on earth and the choir in heaven giving praise to our God for the gift of Christmas. Amen? So the first Christmas, old Simeon sang, and old Zacharias sang, and sweet little Mary sang, and the angels sang. And then there's the song of Elizabeth. After the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her of the miracle of the incarnation, that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, Mary left her home in Nazareth, and she traveled with a caravan, probably, of kinspeople who were on their way to Jerusalem. And she hung along with them, and she traveled to the hill country of Judea to visit her kinswoman, Elizabeth, who was, by this time, six months with child. And that child would be John the Baptist. The Bible says that when Mary entered into the home of Elizabeth and Zacharias, John the Baptist, still in her womb, the Bible says when, when Mary greeted Elizabeth, John the Baptist did a hallelujah dance in his mother's womb. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit of God revealed to Elizabeth the truth of what was happening with her kinswoman, Mary. And Elizabeth broke out in a song. Listen to this song. Luke 1, 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, by the way, aren't those special times? 
when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And you want to know a characteristic of being filled with the Holy Spirit? The Bible says when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you sing. You make melody to the Lord. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, and here's her song. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her by the Lord. Elizabeth was overwhelmed and humbled that God was what God was doing in her life and in the life of Mary. She was filled with wonder. She was filled in, with wonder of grace, of amazing grace. May we never lose the wonder of God's amazing grace. That as, as unworthy as we are, He loves us like He does. Did you know the song, Amazing Grace, is a Christmas song? John Newton, who wrote the song, Amazing Grace, wrote it in December of 1772, during the Christmas season, as he contemplated the wonders of Christmas. And as all preachers can testify, as you try your very best to do some kind of justice to the meaning of Christmas, and you're overwhelmed with the task of trying to present some kind of justice to the greatness of Christmas, John Newton was overwhelmed by the amazing grace that had saved a wretch like him. And so it was in December of 1772 that John Newton celebrated the amazing grace of God. During Christmas, we too should be humbled by God's amazing grace. And we should sing praises to God that He would send a Savior to save wretches like you and I. Oh, May we never lose the wonder of God's amazing, amazing grace. So you see, there was music at the first Christmas. Oh, Simeon sang. Zacharias sang. Sweet Mary sang. And the angels sang. And Elizabeth sang. What about you? Do you sing at Christmas? And not just those songs about the traditions of Christmas or what we would characterize as the secular songs, but do you sing songs of praise at Christmas? Not with the drone of complacency, but with the unbridled joy of praise and worship to God who has saved us and has sent a Savior to make our salvation possible. Always remember, as we celebrate the first coming of Jesus, the same Bible that tells us about His first coming tells us that Jesus is coming again. There should always be a connection in your mind between the first coming of Jesus and His birth in Bethlehem and His second coming. Because the same, very same Bible that tells us of His first coming is the very same Bible that tells us He's coming again.
But when he comes again, he's not going to be a baby born and placed in a manger. When he comes again, every eye shall see him. Every eye will see him. And every eye will see who he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I was thinking about old Simeon. God had promised to him that he would not die until he saw the birth of the Savior. <laughs> Every day, old Simeon would get up and he would say to himself, and maybe he would say to the Lord in a prayer, Simeon, Lord, you know, I'm getting old now. <laughs> I'm well beyond the years that probably I should be alive and you're going to fulfill this promise, I know. Maybe this could be the day. I wonder if I go to the temple today, maybe this will be the day when that promise is fulfilled and I'll see the Christ. And then that day came and he saw him. I'm afraid that some of us have become so caught up in complacency and the spirit of this world that we have lost the sight of the fact that the same Jesus who came the first time is coming again and today could be the day. Shouldn't we ask ourselves every day, could today be the day when the Lord comes again? And may that guide our life, not to live so entrenched in this world, but to live for the Lord. Max Licato, we love him, don't we? The way he writes, here's what he wrote about this. He said, it all happened in a moment, a most remarkable moment. That particular moment was like none other for through that moment of time, a spectacular thing occurred. God became man. God as a fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. But there will be another moment. And the world will see another instantaneous transformation. Because you see, in becoming a man, God made it possible for man to see God. And when Jesus went home, He left the back door open. And He's coming again. And when He does, those who believe in Him will all be changed. And we will be caught up to meet Him in the air. And the Scripture says it will be like this. In the moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At Christmas, when we think about His birth, as we think about the Lord's soon return, shouldn't we sing? <laughs> shouldn't we rejoice? And shouldn't we praise our God? God is the inventor of music. He created music. Music is a powerful force. That's what Satan knows, and that's why Satan has hijacked and corrupted God's gift of music. And he uses it, Satan uses it by his corruption to cause many to continue to rebel against God. But the highest form of music is music that honors and glorifies God. Here's what one of the signs of being saved is. <laughs> if you have truly been saved, God has placed a desire in your heart to sing to sing praises to Him. The psalmist said in Psalm 43, He has put a new song in my mouth. He's put a hymn of praise to our God in my heart. Amen. Didn't that happen to you when you were saved? 
God put a new song in your mouth. He put a new hymn of praise in your heart to praise God. And you know God loves to hear you sing. Nobody else may love to hear you sing. In fact, you may get a lot of requests on earth not to sing. Like old Barney Five. I saw that. Y'all remember that episode? I saw that last week. Poor old Barney. And you may be just like poor old Barney. People would say, well, you know, if you don't mind, <laughs> go in yonder and sing. But I can tell you somebody who will never tell you that. That's God. God loves to hear you sing. God loves to hear you sing. Praises and honor and glory to Him. So, let's sing to our God, especially at Christmas. Bring praises to His name. Do you know when is the best time to be saved if you're not a Christian? The best time for you to be saved if you're not a Christian is right now. Right now. Not tomorrow, not next week, but right now. God is waiting. The Holy Spirit is drawing you. Today's a good day to be saved. Today's a good day to give your life to Christ, and I would encourage you to do so. And maybe you just need to do some repenting and getting right with God at Christmas because you've let stuff get into your life as a Christian that shouldn't be there and you've grown cold and indifferent and you've left your first love for Jesus. Maybe it's time to get right with God. Don't you think Christians have to do that sometime? Christians have to get right with God sometimes because we let old stuff get into our life and we begin to live in thing, in ways we shouldn't live and do things we shouldn't do. Well, God doesn't want that in our life. And you lose the joy of your salvation when that happens. And do you know what happens when you lose your joy? You don't sing. When you have your joy, you sing. Maybe you need to come and repent today and get right with God if you're a believer. Whatever God does in your heart, I invite you to come.